Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Uh, we have a terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, who is the founder and publisher of HistoryCenter.com. We'll be talking about current world events. Larry Reed is the president of Meredith, so the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about what the founders might have done with the coronavirus or COVID-19. And then we'll visit with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree, two great murder mysteries uh, located in Washington, D.C. It is May the 11th, and on this day in 1934, a massive storm sent millions of tons of topsoil flying from across the parched Great Plains region of the United States as far east as New York, Boston, and Atlanta. At the time, the Great Plains were settled in the mid-1800s, and the land was covered by prairie grass which held moisture in the earth and kept moist uh, most of the soil from blowing away even during dry spells. But in the early 20th century, farmers plowed under the, much of the grass to create fields. The U.S. entry into World War I in 1917 caused a great need for wheat, and farms began to push their fields to the limit, plowing under more and more grassland with a newly invented tractor. The plowing continued after all after the war when the introduction of more powerful gasoline tractors sped up the process. During the 1920s, wheat production increased by 300%, causing a glut in the market by 1931. That year, a severe drought spread across the region. As crops died, wind began to carry dust from overplowed and overgrazed lands. The number of dust storms reportedly jumped from 14 in 1932 to 28 in 1933. The following year, the storms decreased in frequency, but increased in intensity city culminating in the most severe storm yet in may 1934 over a period of two days high level winds caused and caught and carried some 350 million tons of silt all the way from northern great plains to the east eastern seaboard according to the new york times dust lodged itself in the eyes and throats of weeping and coughing new yorkers and even ships some 300 miles offshore saw dust collect on their decks uh, of course, this uh, led to thousands of families leaving Texas, Ar Arkansas, Oklahoma, Colorado. They would become Okies, no matter which uh, state they came from. They found a new life out west in California mainly, and of course paid uh, a worse price, a uh, meager price during the Great Depression. Anyhow, dust storms. And, of course, we've learned from that, but we have to realize that if we want the earth to provide for us, we must provide for the earth. I just finished uh, the book Sapiens. I highly recommend it. Interesting, as just brought that thought to mind. Well, COVID-19 cases in Cuyahoga County have increased to 752. The death toll remains at 27. 136 people have been hospitalized, many of them released. Uh, last night, the beaches closed in Naples. I don't think it has anything to do with what the people in Naples I think. They're concerned about people coming over from the East Coast uh, because their beaches, of course, are closed. Some good news on our neighbors in Georgia. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp announced Saturday that the state has the lowest number of hospitalized coronavirus patients it's seen in just over a month. Today marks the lowest number of COVID-19 positive patients currently hospitalized statewide. 
that's 1,203, since hospitals began uh, reporting the data on April the 18th, Kemp tweeted, the famous mean, uh, means of communication now, he moved forward with his plan to reopen the state last month despite initial opposition from President Trump. George was the first state to reopen in any non-essential businesses, and the decision also drew backlash from pol politicians and health officials who warned that reopening the state too soon could lead to a possible surge in new coronavirus cases. And, of course, it could, but it certainly hasn't up to this point. Uh, the news creates hopes and encouragement uh, for other governors to move forward. Let's not rely on the guidance from the CDC. Uh, you know, you see this uh, coronavirus task force on TV with President Trump. Well, in a heated exchange, Dr. Burks told Robert Redfield, the head of the CDC, that there's nothing from the CDC I can trust, she said. Apparently, dissension in the ranks in the coronavirus task force. Uh, big headlines in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, economic lockdown is a catastrophe. It is the catastrophe. Nevertheless, uh, U.S. stocks continue to rally uh, Friday, despite the showing that unemployment has climbed to 14.7%. For the week, the S&P 500 gained 3.5%, while Dow, Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 2.6%. Uh, futures are down right now. Well, in the spirit of the rest of the story, before we move to the news of the day, uh, the Catholic high school student who was the subject of controversial media coverage in 2019 because of a misleading video clip that he, he's headed now to college on a scholarship. His name, of course, is Nicholas Sandman. He sued uh, the news outlet for $275 million. I don't know where that stands right now, but he's very excited to share that he's been awarded a scholarship to attend college in the school in the fall. He's very excited to say I'll be graduating, Sandman wrote, after being told I would never go to college and my life was done. I'll be in amazing school and on scholarship. Don't back down and keep winning. Well, I believe this young man, Nicholas Sandman, has a very bright future, if for no other reason that he can deal with adversity and continue to pursue his goals. Well done, Nicholas. Well, Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, featured a virtual rally in Tampa last week. I think it was on Friday. This weekend, I watched the rally. It was a total disaster. I mean, it just was embarrassing. From the low-resolution grin plastered on the face of the Florida Democrat Party chairwoman, whose image awkwardly froze on the screen for about 10 minutes before she began speaking, a hand covering the lens just as a high schooler is about to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, Joe Biden's virtual Tampa rally couldn't have looked more amateurish or comedic if it appeared on Comedy Central. The rally was so slapdash and low-tech that even Washington Post felt compelled to write about it in an article. He said, glitches, awkwardness, and blank screens mar Biden's, Biden's virtual rally. What was supposed to be a crisp and cool introduction, according to the Post, ended up by being a laughing riot. The whole thing lasted about 47 minutes, and Biden didn't appear on the video until uh, 38 minutes into it. After the resolu resolution was poor, poor, it was hard to understand uh, what he was saying because there were glitches. Ah, ooh, ah, oh, this kind of thing going on. It was just unbelievable. I can't imagine more than a handful of folks watched the virtual rally in Tampa. Google it and see it for yourself. It's how bad it was. This guy really wants to be our president. He couldn't, the party couldn't even produce something more compelling than this. A group of primary school kids could have done a better job than what uh, this video was. And by the way, uh, I'm sure you've seen the polls, Biden leading. The real clear politics averages a 4.4% lead for Biden over Trump. While the real clear politics betting odds, 
Data shows that Trump is in lead by 8.7%. Three betting sites show him up 10% over Biden. Betting odds have proven to be much more reliable than the polls. So there you go. Well, here's a quote from President Barack Obama, I think it was this weekend, maybe on Friday, uh, about the dropping of the case against Michael Flynn. He says, the news over the last 24 hours, I think, has been somewhat downplayed about the Justice Department dropping charges against Michael Flynn, Obama said in a web talk with members of the Obama Alumni Association. He said, and in fact, that there is no precedent that anybody can find for someone who's been charged with perjury just getting off scot-free. That's the kind of stuff where you begin to get worried about the basic, not just institutional norms, but our basic understanding of the rule of law is at risk. And when you start moving in those directions, it can accelerate pretty quickly, as we've seen in other places. I'm not kidding, he really said that. Now, uh, don't take it from me, Georgetown Law School constitutional expert Jonathan Turley had a few things that he tweeted about over Obama's remarks. Here's what he said. President Obama is being quoted on Flynn saying, there's no precedent that anybody can find for someone who has been charged with perjury just getting off scot-free. It's a curious statement, he tweeted. First and foremost, Flynn was not charged with perjury. He continues in the next tweet, Second, we now know that Obama discussed charging Flynn under the Logan Act, which has never been used successfully to convict anyone, and is flagrantly unconstitutional. And third, this reaffirms reports that Obama was personally invested in this effort. And then finally, there is this precedent. In another tweet, he says, There's a specific rule allowing for the motion under Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 48A, there are specific Supreme Court cases like Rinaldi versus the United States addressing the standard for such dismissals. The, now get this. The Justice Department, he tweets, has dismissed cases in the past, including the Stevens case. That was requested by President Barack Obama. His own Attorney General, Eric Holder, for the same reason, misconduct by prosecutors. It was done before the same judge, Judge Sullivan. Now how's that for precedent? Guess uh, community organizer and constitutional scholar Obama forgot all about that in his remarks. But uh, Obama's talking about the rule of law being at risk is laughable. One of the main problems of the Obama administration with many things that his officials did that were never prosecuted or he held accounted for. Even without the whole Democrat effort to undermine President Trump with Russian collusion, collusion which truly was unprecedented perhaps the entire history of the country there will be a boatload of things that put rule of law at risk like spying on ap reporters james rosen uh, uh he was with uh, fox news but other reporters as well john brennan's cia caught spying on congress and brennan himself caught lying about it eric holder who himself called obama's wingman held in contempt of congress hillary clinton's pri private server and sending the receiving classified information or emails and we could go on and on just a small sample of the things that went on that were never even accounted for or discussed in the news. And, of course, Obama is getting pretty nervous. And, of course, be why? And that's because these recently re released papers show that Obama was at the middle of this, at the beginning of this whole thing on the uh, January 5th. I wish we had t more time to talk about it. We're going to move on to Mark Shulman and uh, find out about global news. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Ball Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees. The goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. A great season of productions coming up, as well as education programs for young people in your life. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief Jim McTagg. Right now, we have with us Mark Shulman. Mark is an author. He's written several books on past presidents, among other things. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. And I just remind our listeners right now that you're in Tel Aviv in Israel, and uh, how are things going over there? Pretty reasonable. Uh, things have slowly but surely been opening up. Uh, most businesses are now open. Um, the parks have now opened up. They still have now the restaurants and clubs, and those are still closed. Um, they're still limited to having a no more than 10 people at any gathering. Um, but the numbers are, are very small at this point. Uh, mm. Anyways, between 20 and 40 new cases a day. They're down to about 59 people, I think, who are on um, ventilators. 
Um, and there have been about 250 deaths altogether in a country of 8 million. So that's, so that's pretty encouraging. Number. Good numbers indeed. So let's move on to uh, world news, uh, because I want to find out what's happening in Iran. Apparently they're willing to make some sort of prisoner exchange now with the United States. Yeah, they seem to be willing to make a prisoner exchange. It's not totally clear where that came from. There have been some other interesting developments in the last 24 hours. Um, it turns out... Uh, it's reported in any case that there was a secret Israeli cabinet meeting, security cabinet two days ago, in which they discussed the fact that Iran um, Iran had a cyber attack on Israel's water systems. Didn't do any damage, but that was considered crossing a red line. Mm. And today, related or unrelated, I'll say it's unrelated, but who the hell knows in this day and age, mm-hmm. an Iranian missile boat fired on another missile boat and it looks like it sunk its own its own ship. <laughs> what is it? I think 18 uh, uh, soldiers missing, if I'm not mistaken. 18, or miss, 18, 18 dead or missing, another uh, 12 or 14 wounded. Uh, maybe it's an accident. Who knows? Yeah. What, what, what would the what would be the logic of uh, an attack like that for Iranians against their own sh- their own ship? Oh, they didn't plan on it. Uh huh. But it it may have been intended for some other target, is what you're suggesting? No, they could have been doing a test fly fly flight. And I might just I don't know. I'm just speculating, but uh-huh. um, it could have been a test flight, and some power that was angry at their previous at- attack decided to take control of the missile and aim it back at one of his ships. I don't know. I have no idea, really. Yeah. Saying those, are the th- those are the things that are within the realm of possibility in this day and age. That's right. And, it, and of course, this, uh, this cyber attack on the water system in, in uh, Israel is very concerning. I'm just so pleased that the uh, Israelis could uh, stop the, the attack, because uh, if it had hit the water system, it could have really done serious damage for the, to the Israelis. Absolutely. I mean, these are the things that we don't, we don't realize how much of that A goes on, and B how um, how open we are, because the reality is that, you know, on one hand we have the hackers that are just trying to make money, and, you know, they say, you know, give me a million dollars or I'll destroy your hospital medical system, medical right. records, whatever it might be. Those are people in there for the money, and you can deal with them, and a lot of them can be stopped. What's very difficult to do is stop a, um, a national actor, because they have almost infinite resources. So whether it's the Russians or the Chinese, or less so the Iranians, but still the Iranians, um, they can do an awful lot of damage. Yeah. You know, I, I just yeah. finished reading, uh, Larry Bell is a professor at the uh, University of Houston. He's just uh, written another book, and I've had him on the show every week. His latest book is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. It is scary, the content in there. He suggests that we are at war with, <laughs> and uh, they're not only attacking us, we're attacking them. So it's it's uh, there's a, it's just like a, a nuclear standoff in, in, in one sense. Well, yeah, except, except for one big difference. Again, the nuclear standoff was really literally a standoff because we had mutually assured destruction and no one wanted to do that. Right. Now, we might have mutually assured cyber destruction. You know, we could destroy each other. But on the other hand, we can also, you know, you, lo- you launch one nuclear missile and that's it. The world's a nuclear war. Yeah. You do one, one attack on some place, no one's about to go to nuclear war because of it, so... You know, you you play around here, you hurt someone there, and of course the problem with any of these things is, and this has to do with even kinetic or cyber warfare, is when things get out of control and you miscalculate. Yeah. The scariest thing for me is that uh, a lot of our 
uh, infrastructure is very much dependent upon cyber cyberspace and on the, the internet and so forth. Uh, if we're having a rock fight, we're living in a glass house, unlike North Korea, for example, which uh, has no infrastructure really that uh, they need to be concerned about. So my, my point is this, that we're very, very vulnerable to these types of attacks. We need to do something. When the president talks about building the infrastructure, I hope he's focusing a little bit on the grid and other things that are so vulnerable. Right. I, I fear not, not because it's his fault, but because these things are sort of, you know, such nuts and bolts, and it's much more impressive to talk about a space force or do this or that than yeah. deal with nuts and bolts to make sure our electric grid has been secured. Yeah, um, that's a much more boring topic, shall we say? It is, but my hope is somehow, some way, it's addressed uh, when when this uh, infrastructure project gets addressed. Uh, let's be, in this segment. I want to talk also about Libya. Apparently, it's a, there's some news there. Right. So in Libya, we have a, a proxy war going on between the forces of uh, Syria, Russia slash Iran, who are fighting in Syria, and the and the forces supported by Turkey. And there's been an ongoing civil war going on between those two sides. Uh, at various points, they've captured the Libyan capital. Uh, they've destroyed some of the oil rigs. Uh, but it's a real proxy war taking place on the other side of the Mediterranean um, from, you know, from Italy, let's say. And um, it's not going away, it looks like. It's yeah. an ongoing war that's, that, that's, that's moved from fighting in northern Syria now to, to Libya. So what's the significance, do you think? Uh, can it... Uh Escalate. Well, there's two there's two problems. There's one is escalation, and and again, Libya is a major oil producer. That that's a problem. Um, they're also relatively close to Italy, and so you have more problem in terms of refugees potentially. Um, and uh, so those two things make it problematic. And of course, it could spill over to Egypt, which is a whole other country, you know, a whole other set of difficulties as well. Yeah. So again, you know, we have this this world that on one hand seems to be settling down and every once in a while it flares up again and we still have this ongoing fight that 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 surrounds Syria and by the way we have a new problem is that al-Qaeda seems to be quite back now in Syria. Yeah. Well, and of course, the world may be more quiet right now because of the pandemic. I want to talk to you about that, what's happening globally. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do 
you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Very proud to be on the board of this great organization, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And even though we have the pandemic right now, it's a big effort and very successful. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, the pandemic is affecting not just the United States, but uh, countries around the world. As you mentioned, Israel. I- I'm concerned about what's going to happen with trade and uh, whether we'll have a, a global depression. But uh, let's talk about the pandemic itself and what's ha- how different countries are handling it. Absolutely. I mean, look, every country has the same problem. They're trying to figure out how to restart their economy, but it's not simple. So the countries that shut down the most, obviously China was the one who shut down the most the quickest, they're back to about 70 to 80 percent of their economy is going in terms of production and those sort of things. Consumer spending, though, is way, way down. Mm-hmm. Disneyland in um, Shanghai opened, but much less than the minimum amount that they were allowed to come uh, showed up. There were more park workers than park visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always part, part of the big question. Uh, South Korea had been doing the best, and they actually opened up their nightclubs and bars, and then one guy went from from went between one evening went to nine different bars <laughs> and clubs, and basically fifty people got infected as a result. Not one person, and so now they've shut down the bars and the nightclubs. Um, so, you know, they, these are all difficulties. Germany has restarted their schools because they've been doing a pretty good job with contact tracing and everything else. But when they restarted their schools. They went up to what's called, the R, they, they went back to R1. R1 is the reproductive number of one. If we, the, the whole goal is to get the reproductive number under one because that means that when one person gets infected, he infects on average less, he or she infects on average less than one person. Mm-hmm. If your R is under one, the, the, the virus dies. If the R is above one, the virus continues to grow. So Germany went put the schools back and then found the R got, went back up to one. It was below one until then. Mm-hmm. So these are all dilemmas right now. Italy and France are both starting to starting to, to uh, let let people out of their quarantine. Spain also, all have very large death rates, all have come down um, a great deal. Um, but again, they're they're facing the problem. How do you how do you restart the economy? Uh, the UK, which started very late and originally didn't um, do anything, 
um, has the worst rate right now, and it's, the virus is out of control in the UK at the moment. So, is there any? Um, are there any countries that are not having a, an epidemic or not having the pandemic? Well, you have two sets of countries. You have New Zealand and Australia that, that got total control of it. New Zealand limit has not had a new case in six days. Now, again, they have advantage. There's like two airports going into New Zealand. They have a better control, mm-hmm. so they're able they're able to clamp its way down. The same with Australia. Vietnam, at least, has not reported any cases, and no one quite understands that. How you know they're close to China. Um, Thailand has cases. Uh, the Philippines have cases. Why does Vietnam not have cases? So no one really knows that. But it's not clear that, that they're keeping it a secret either. Uh, some theory is because of the previous bird flu, etc., that some of that a large percentage of their population had that, and that might have created some sort of immunity. immunity but no one. Yeah. No, no one knows for sure. The country that's worst off right now seems to be Russia. There, they're increasing the most rapidly. There's, in other words, if in the United States the growth of the virus has tapered off, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean more people aren't getting it every day. But the, you know, the the numbers from day to day are not growing, uh, are not growing exponentially. The numbers are getting it. And the death rate in the United States has more or less tapered off. Again. Still tapering off with someone between fifteen hundred and two thousand people a day, but it it isn't going down, but it hasn't gone. You know, yeah. except in New York City where it's gone down particularly, but but in Russia it's just going up and up and up right now. So it seems to be totally out of control in Russia. So how do they know uh, that? Are they testing people? How do they know that they're testing people? Look, look, you have two ways. There are two two issues here. One is you're testing people, and you're testing people to see who has the virus, and two people are dying. Now, in terms of dying, there are two ways, of course, of knowing whether uh, COVID-19 is responsible. One is the, you know, the best way, of course, is if you've tested the person either before they died or after they died, then you can say for 100%. The other factor to keep in mind is what epide- epidemiologists do is they say, okay, on the average month in the month of April, um, 5,000 people die, you know, in our city, in our cake, wherever it might be, in April. Well, this year, 10,000 people died in April and 10,000 people died in in, in in May or March or whatever it is, and more than the average of you know the average years. So therefore, we can say that there's a very high likelihood ah. that if a death rate doubled, we can assume that half those deaths are a result of COVID-19 because there's no other reason why suddenly a death rate would would spike like that. Hmm. Interesting. And so both are you know b- both give Estimates. you pretty good numbers. Yeah. Um, so interesting. So. I find it interesting to statistic in the United States is apparently. There's a little bit of dissension going on in the uh, coronavirus task force right now because of uh, Dr. Burks. Uh, Deborah Burks made a comment that <laughs> in a heated exchange with Robert Redfield, who's the head of the CDC, that, you know, I'm not sure we could trust anything coming out of the CDC. So it's kind of interesting. One of the big problems that the United States has right now, and which makes it difficult, is numbers in real time. Mm-hmm. So. The problem when you're trying to forecast what to do, if you're getting numbers based on tests that were taken a week ago, it's very hard to, you know, it's because w- what happens is this lag. So let's say someone gets sick today, uh, or, excuse me, gets infected today. They don't get sick for a week to 10 days to up to two weeks. Uh-huh. When they initially get sick, the symptoms aren't that bad. They don't go see a doctor. They don't go, so they don't get tested. Then only, you know, two weeks to three weeks if they first got infected, do they go and see a doctor or go to the emergency room, and then, of course, they get tested. But then if it takes another week to get the test results, you're looking at 
numbers from four weeks ago, which is very hard to make a real-time decision what you should be doing yeah. on numbers based from four weeks ago. So, you know, I've been, I've been an advocate for the herd immunity uh, theory, and Sweden has given it a try if they had, didn't shut down at all. Of course, they, they recommended the people social distance and that kind of thing, so they gave advisories to the population. But uh, as I understand it, their statistics are no worse than uh, those that have uh, responded with uh, draconian types well, of shutdowns. They're, 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 they're compared, if you compare Sweden to Denmark Norway, and, and Norway, and Finland, which are three countries that are similar socioeconomically and everything else, mm -hmm. their death rate is ten times the other countries. And worse yet, the expectation of economic growth or contraction is now higher in Sweden than it is in those other three countries. So let me, let me though, uh, co come back to the theory that you just uh, purported, which is, you know, maybe that all happened at once because of the way they handled the situation. They've now developed immunity and the death rates will go down much faster. Okay, but let's put it this way. First of all, there's no there's no sense that they've reached herd immunity levels at this point. Mm -hmm. Herd immunity is you have to get to fifty percent. Generally, expect but again, no one knows for sure. Number two, we're not even positive there is such a thing as herd immunity with this disease. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee about that. That's one of the big problems we have with this. We don't know there is a herd immunity. So, right. Um, and, and number three, um, you know, why would you take that route if you can take the New Zealand route? We just get rid of the disease if you can, and like you know, countries like Norway and, me, and those are small enough. There's no reason why Norway can't be New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Sweden decided not to be, and they have this high death rate. That, that's you know, Sweden is the same size as Israel. It has had 15 times the deaths that Israel has had. Yeah, so and I'm, I'm a, a I think country with. My interest in all this is about what you know, how we're handling the United States, and of course, we can learn from all these different countries right now. But the other part of this is the economy is crumbling every day that we don't open the economy with more uh, economic. With the, okay, but the, the the problem with that is I agree with you on, on on many levels, but there's one little problem with that. Let's look at the airlines, right? Mm -hmm. No one closed the airlines. All the airlines are still flying planes. Right. Delta Airlines said that two days ago they f have more pilots on payroll than flew on their airline. Right. So you, you're not going to, you can't open the economy. You need to defeat the virus because people aren't going to fly. So let me, let me, let, let me make the point. Uh, what I think you just demonstrated is the wisdom of having guidelines and let people make their own decisions. Uh, and the reason why people aren't flying is because they're concerned about the coronavirus. Uh, and as that fear begins to dissipate, as they see better numbers, they can, in other words, I think people allow but them to make their own decisions. understand something. There are two factors to this whole thing. Number one, the reality is that there, if you want to protect the most um, vulnerable of society, let's say, there is no way of doing it without, with, you can't leave it to people to decide because it won't work that way. Yeah. Because let's say for nursing homes, and those, those sort of things, if you let it go in that sort of way, the people who work in the nursing home, someone will bring it in and then it'll hit the, most, the, the people who can make no choices because right. they're in places where they can make no choices. Well, Mark, I think we're at the place. We're at the place right now where I, I'm hopeful that our listeners have enjoyed the exchange and learned from it, and have more and more questions. Certainly, you and I don't have all the answers, but that we don't. <laughs> all I have is questions. I have no answers. That's one of the most frustrating thing about all of this. All I can tell you is what's wrong with everyone's policy. Yeah. I don't have a good policy to, of my own. Let's yeah, put it that well, way. I must admit. In, in any event, I know our points of view differ somewhat, but nevertheless, I, I think it's been a great exchange, and I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank.
Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as, as well, Mark. Thank you. And again, the website, check it out, uh, historycentral.com. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by St. Matthew's House. I just hope you'll support St. Matthew's House. They opened their businesses last week now, and uh, one of the great ways to help them is because they're helping the homeless. And uh, those who are needy of food, you can uh, make a contribution, certainly. But you can also patronize their fabulous businesses. Visit stmatthewshouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He's the author of several books. Right now, we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Larry. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We focus on young people of high school and college age. Our attempt is to uh, inculcate ideas of individual liberty and free markets, private property, personal character, and in the minds of young people. And we do that through uh, the website, which is fee.org, and by way of seminars that we hold on campuses and in high schools all over the country. And uh, you, it's a great organization, fee.org is the website, fee.org. So you wrote a, a column, uh, COVID-19, what would the founders have done? So interesting. Maybe you can tell us about it. I'd be happy to. Of course, I was careful not to prescribe in any detail what the founders might have done, because no one, uh, of course, knows that. But uh, we do have 
uh, a lot of evidence to suggest that they might have taken a very different approach than our leaders today have. Uh, many Americans don't uh, know from their history that the founding generation lived through uh, many pandemics. In fact, the one in 1793 in Philadelphia uh, killed nearly 5,000 people in only four months' uh, time, mm. and that's out of a city of some 50,000. So that the equivalent today, in, in percentage terms, uh, would be something like three uh, and a half million people in America dying from a pandemic. And, of course, we've only had about 100,000. So the, uh, proportionally, that was a far deadlier pandemic than the one we're facing today. Uh, at that time, the federal government had no power to act, and it didn't. In fact, it simply left the city. <laughs> the, that was, Philadelphia was the capital mm -hmm. at the time, and George Washington, as our first president, took uh, the whole kit and caboodle of the federal government and moved it to Germantown, Pennsylvania. Uh, but there were quarantines, but they were imposed locally. Uh, churches were never closed, uh, and nobody ballooned uh, the national debt <laughs> to solve the problem. I mean, truly it was deadly, but uh, uh, they handled it, and uh, the result was a kind of herd immunity rather quickly. Yeah, and the same thing happened in 18, 1918. I think it was uh, started uh, with a military, a soldier on a uh, base on in Kansas, if I'm not mistaken, but irrespective, I mean, we don't. They didn't have the tools that we have today in terms of information, nor medical, you know, cures and uh, the health, public health information. Uh, lots of people die, but you know, here we are today. We we got through it without uh, without government intervention, and to your point, without blowing up the federal debt. Yeah, that's right, and uh, that's not to say we couldn't have improved what we did in 1793. I'm sure with knowledge and time and expertise and uh, and medical equipment, uh, we certainly could have. But still, um, it raises questions about just how effective the lockdowns have been today uh, versus what might have happened had we simply strongly urged social distancing but and took care of uh, isolating the uh, the most vulnerable but otherwise uh, let decisions be made more locally. Uh, uh, it's something I, I think we have to look back on when this experience is over and assess and study very carefully. And my s suspicion is uh, the lockdowns will be shown to have been less effective than we thought. Uh, absolutely. Well, of course, it, it demonstrates central planning and uh, when decisions are ma being made centrally, as they are right now, uh, it's, it's somewhat scary. It just <laughs> brings to mind some of the comments you made about progressives. Yeah, uh, progressives, uh, almost by definition, it seems, they just love the state to take charge and push people around and give them orders, and they like encouraging people to snitch on their neighbors. And, you know, you, you, the totalitarian streak that uh, progressives have to one degree or another uh, really comes out in a crisis like this. And uh, it, it's actually scary. Some of them, I think, uh, positively enjoy uh, wielding power over others. It's so true, and uh, you had a famous quote by Woodrow Wilson, I think, which is uh, uh, something to the effect that uh, just having cent uh, not centralizing power just leads to bad decisions, which is just incredibly mistaken. Yeah, he, of course, was a progressive icon and a really nasty guy, personally. He was uh, a virulent racist. He was a philanderer. He was a promise breaker, a, a liar, a starry-eyed uh, foreign adventurer. 
but he once declared that the only fruit of dividing power, referring to the separation of powers in the Constitution, the only fruit of dividing power had been to make it irresponsible. Uh, he constantly chafed at the restrictions the Constitution placed upon the exercise of power. Uh, he just thought that elites like him, uh, and, and he was, of course, an academic by background, a very intelligent elites like Woodrow Wilson could plan better if the Constitution didn't tie their hands. Yeah, so true. Uh, and, and I realize you can't really say what the founders might have done, but I think they had some guidelines about how to handle a situation like this. They've handled it in the past. Uh, I, I'm not so sure that would be so draconian as what we're seeing. in, in Well, you're living in a state in Georgia, which has opened up sooner, which is great, but uh, other states like Michigan... It's pretty scary what they're up to. Yeah, Michigan especially is very uh, draconian uh, in their regulations on this, and time will tell just uh, what the effect of that has been. But I, I think that's uh, not going to wear well with the public or with uh, a historical reckoning when we look back on it. Remember that the men who wrote the Bill of Rights, uh, James Madison uh, being key in that, uh, they never added such language as uh, you know weather permitting or if it's convenient, or <laughs> pending executive approval. I mean, they really meant it to be for all time, because they knew uh, the moment you grant an exception, there are plenty of power-lusting people who will just drive a 20-mule team uh, straight through any loopholes that uh, they face. Yeah, it's so true. And proof positive, of course, is that Tucker Carlson did an interview with the governor of New Jersey. And Tucker, <laughs> it was great. He said, well, uh, what, did you, what did you think about the Bill of Rights when you were making these decisions? And the governor said, well, I never really thought about the Bill of Rights. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. and I, You know, we laugh at that, but that's also tragic. I mean, that's the kind of character trait uh, uh, and mentality in a leader that you'd least want to have. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, you, you know, the, every elected official uh, swears to uphold the Constitution. And it doesn't say, to your point, if the weather's good. It's <laughs> under all circumstances. Yeah. So, so it's, it, you know, the, the, the founders understood that this document was timeless, that it, it applied to all, not only all times, but all situations. And uh, many of our elected officials have forgotten that. Yeah, and the American people need to understand that when you have a constitution and you start to say, well, you know, under certain conditions or, or if, if we feel like it, uh, we're going to set it aside, that simply opens the door to future mischief that uh, you don't even want to think about. Absolutely. Again, the Foundation for Economic Education, FEE.org is the website. Check it out, especially if you have a young person in your life that uh, be exposed to great ideas about responsibility and the rule of law. It's a great place to go. Larry, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg. He is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Jim McTagg, as I mentioned before the break. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's also the author of a couple of terrific murder mysteries. Their sequel, it's a sequel. The first is uh, Follow the Leader, and the follow-up is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm here in my house, uh, isolating myself, and uh, it's a uh, cool, rainy May day, more like a March day in Washington. But I must say, uh, it's pleasant because normally at this time it gets so hot uh, and humid that it's difficult to go out for a walk. Yeah, it. it uh, we had the same kind of day yesterday. I, we did what we call turtling. We just kind of stayed inside, and uh, well, that was actually the day before, I guess. But in any event, hey, by the way, I forgot to mention off air that I had dinner with uh, Felix Zuloff and his wife who recalls meeting you, and he wanted to pass on his best regards. He's the uh, longest-standing member of the Barron's Roundtable. Of course, you were a reporter, the Washington, uh, uh, reporter for, Washington, for the uh, Barron's Magazine. Yes, the Roundtable, I think, is one of the highlights of the magazine. So, uh, and Felix was one of the brighter lights on the Roundtable. Yeah. So uh, thank you for mentioning that. Absolutely. But, you know, I'm thinking... I'm looking at my uh, portfolio is actually doing very nicely now, uh, and I wonder why, because uh, I think it's going to be a, a long, bumpy road for the economy to recover. Yeah. I, I, reading history, I'm looking at the uh, 
I'm probably going to get the dates mixed up here, but we had a big uh, depression in this country in 1893 where something mm-hmm. like uh, 500 banks failed, 50 railroads failed, mm-hmm. uh, one out of every five workers was unemployed, and they had no safety nets in 1893, mm-hmm. and the, the economy didn't recover until uh, uh, five years later. Uh, of course, they didn't have the banking system we have now. But uh, but but my point being that uh, uh, this recovery will be difficult because it, it's not only blasted the disease has not only blasted the demand side. You know, people are not running out to the uh, shopping malls. Uh, but it's uh, a lot of companies that were operating on the margin, uh, just barely profitable are closing doors because they realize the difficulties going forward. And um, I'm not a businessman. I was a business reporter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if I went into business for myself, I'd be out of business in uh, about a, a week. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I really respect uh, business people. Mm-hmm. But the uh, National Retail Federation has a list of uh, what you should do uh, before you open your doors to the public again. And it, it, it looks like it's a very costly and time-consuming and complex uh, proposition. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, just uh, this weekend, we got news that Nordstrom, Nordstrom's is closing, I think it's 16 locations, if I'm not mistaken, across the United States. One of them right here in uh, in Naples, another in Clackamas, uh, in uh, in uh, uh Oregon, where we used to go a lot when we lived there. So, po- point being is that uh, you know Nordstrom's at one time was a an organization we hold up saying you know if you want to know something about customer service, Nordstrom's is the best. And now you know they're suffering a little bit. Well, and it makes you wonder why any store would want to reopen any location when you know the simplest thing is to be like an Amazon, almost like a modern catalog store, and, and instead of having interface a direct physical interface with the customer. You do everything uh, by mail or, you know, online and by mail. And, and one reason is, say you're going to reopen a chain like Nordstrom's. Mm-hmm. Well, we have 50 states, and they're in 50 different stages of reopening, mm-hmm. different phases. And within some of those states, there are multiple phases. So, for example, Pennsylvania has two zones. One zone is opening, one zone remains closed. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Virginia, where I live, northern Virginia, which is the engine of the economy, uh, the governor is keeping it closed. He's opening the rest of the state. So, so, you know, there's that complexity. And, And then... You, uh, if you own the store, you have to talk to the landlord. How does he feel, feel about reopening now? Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have to get cleaning supplies and masks for your employees. Can you get those? Can you get them at a reasonable cost? Mm-hmm. Uh, then if every state has different laws reg- regarding, uh, you know, bringing your employees back to work. You have to check with that. You have to check with your insurers and, and state law regarding, you know, and liability, uh, what happens when I bring the customers back into my store. So it's just it's just one question mark after the other, and they all involve costs. Yes. And, 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 and you scratch your – and so if they do open, my point is uh, we're not going to switch a light like the uh, stock market seems to uh, – be indicating yeah. and the economy will become roaring back. Uh, this is a very complex, costly, uh, step-by-step process, 
and a lot of employers are going to say, the heck with brick and mortar. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going the Amazon way. Yeah, I, and of course, the, the the whole problem with brick and mortar for retail has been uh, in existence now for about what six, seven, eight years since uh, Amazon has just really grown so rapidly, and people have responded so much to the opportunity to shop online. So, I mean, there's still people that like to shop; otherwise, they'd, they'd be closing these stores more quickly than they are. But uh, to your point about the stock portfolio. You know, it's it's almost clairvoyant. The the markets are just buoyant for some reason, and it just reminds me that usually during a depression or during market cycles where you have a bear market, it goes up, and then it goes right down to the bottom again. I wonder if we're not being set up for a big disappointment. Yeah, I've been thinking that too. But the question mark is, what will the Fed do? I think uh, the Fed has uh, created some irrational exuberance because yeah. it's. It, it mentioned that it's almost buying every kind of security under the sun. And I, I think I remember them saying that they would even buy exchange-traded funds. And if the Fed is, is a buyer of last resort of exchange-traded funds, it means that there is, a, there is a federally subsidized floor on the stock market. And I believe the behavior of the stock market is really based on that psychology yeah. Fed, well, inevitably, you know, yeah. yeah, inevitably, this has to all this, all these th- moves by the Fed has to lead to inflation somehow, somewhere. Now, perhaps we're in a deflationary economy, and they're simply uh, by doing what they're doing, keeping deflation out of the picture. But uh, inevitably, this is like printing money. It, it is, but the I, I mean, there's a as you know, there's a tug of war. There are a lot of people who think deflation is is built into the picture for five, you know, maybe five years. And the reason again is because consumer demand will be slow to recover. Number one, mm-hmm. uh, number two, and and this this is uh, the Elon Musk situation. Elon Musk is saying I, I'm going to move my company from California to Texas or Nevada you know, because of restrictions on manufacturing, COVID restrictions. But I think what he's really realizing is states like California, high-tax states that have lost so many revenues are going to have to jack up taxes very high to recover from the COVID losses. And so if you're going to have a, a manufacturing business or any kind of business, you want to be in a, uh, a state that's relatively healthy financially. You don't want to stick around in Illinois or Massachusetts or New Jersey. Or New York. You, know, you want to get out now yeah, well, and get to a, a low-tax state. Yeah, just look at what's happened in New York. I mean, you've seen the, the population decline substantially. President Trump, of course, used to live in Manhattan. Where is he now? He's down in Florida. That's his residence currently. I'm sure he's very pleased about saving an awful lot of state taxes. So states have to compete. And it's just so interesting right now because states, uh, for example, uh, New York is saying, hey, we have $13 billion of debt and while we're working through this crisis, uh, couldn't the federal government loan us a little bit more money so we can get out of the situation we're in? I think New, uh, Illinois is doing the same thing. And my question would be, why would we, here in Florida, want to subsidize you who've made all the bad decisions you've made in New York? Why would we want to subsidize your debt? Makes no sense. No, it doesn't make sense. Uh, so what the COVID has done to the economic system, it's sort of like the king has no clothes, that, that tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a lot of companies, and you see it in the restaurant industry especially, were operating on super low margins, and the only reason they survived was low interest rates from the Fed. Uh, but now that demand has, has dried up, 
a lot of the companies are looking ahead and uh, low interest rates won't help them, so they're shuttering their doors. And as you pointed out before we got on the air, uh, the Wall Street Journal today pointed out that some factories are shuttering their, their operations for good. Yeah. And, and it's that kind of reasoning. You know, you know our, our, our profit margins were so slim in a roaring economy, uh, they're going to be non-existent in a recovering economy, so we're, you know, we're quitting while we're ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, on the show here, we've covered an awful lot about coronavirus and uh, a number of the things that are going on in the news. It's been a lot of fun and a lot very interesting, but the one big bombshell we haven't talked about is uh, what's happened with regard to General Flynn. Uh, he's now uh, been exonerated from uh, the crimes that he was been accused of, and President Trump now calls the uh the this whole investigation that's going on to the people who created the investigation he's calling it obamagate it's kind of interesting uh i it think is, uh, yeah you know it's so confusing to me a non-lawyer uh i would like to listen to the interview tapes uh from the fbi that would be great if the administration if the justice department would release those tapes uh-huh. uh you know because i just distrust uh the left media and the right media i'm a, a cynic uh you know, please disintermediate and yeah. present me the facts and let me make up my mind. Well, of course, uh, Molly Hemingway, uh, she concludes her, her column. She writes for The Federalist, and she's the uh, executive editor for The Federalist. She does great. She, of course, wrote along with Kerry uh, uh, Severino the great book, uh, Justice on Trial. It's a fantastic book. But anyhow, she says the stunning operation was not just typical battle between political foes, nor merely an example of uh, media bias against political enemies. Instead, this entire operation was a deliberate and direct attack on the foundation of American governance. In light of the newly declassified documents released in recent days, it's clear that the understanding of what happened on January the 5th in the Oval Office, and that's when they met and this whole thing started, uh, is essential to understanding the full scope and breadth of the corrupt operation against the Trump administration. It's long past time for lawmakers in Congress who are actually interested in oversight to do something about this. Great conclusion, great column from uh, Federalist uh, Molly Hemingway. So uh, I wanted to get this in because we didn't talk about it today, and it's a big scoop. It's a big breaking story, and uh, I'm so pleased to see justice may be served here in the next couple of weeks. Well, Molly Hemingway is a brilliant uh, person, so I'm going to run out and read that. <laughs> Thefederalist.com is the website. Hey, uh, just generally, Jim McTagg, again, author of two great novels I encourage you to take a look at, uh, Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. Jim McTagg, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob, thank you for having me. My pleasure, indeed. And my apologies for running over a little bit, but I wanted to get that last piece in and uh, appreciate your uh, listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I send out a newsletter each day after the show. If you're not receiving it and want to, you can uh, send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>